Hey, everybody. Now it's time to welcome Mr. Mike Penna to the Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Mike is here to discuss establishing yourself as a new officer and a new leader by sharing his wisdom gained from his years as an officer in the FDNY and his experience in life. Hey, Mike, thank you for joining us. Please give a, the listeners an introduction into who you are, your, some of your experiences, and uh, give us a glimpse into Mike's world. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I joined the New York City Fire Department in July of 1981. I uh, was assigned to a company in Lower Manhattan in Soho, Manhattan, Ladder 20. I uh, had an opportunity to transfer to over to Brooklyn for a little bit more work and went to Ladder 176, which was also known as a tin house in Brooklyn. Uh, spent a few years there, and you know, my intention was always going to you know, Special Operations Command, which is now, but at the time was just the rescue companies, and had an opportunity to join Rescue 2 in Brooklyn, where I spent 10 years, and then uh, being promoted to lieutenant, I uh, covered for about a year and a half or so, and, and then I was able to be selected to be assigned to Rescue One in Midtown Manhattan, where I spent probably about five years and then retired out of there in 2002. Well, that sounds like quite a bit of experience. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so first off, um, 1981 was when you started and you went, do you went straight to a ladder company outside of, uh, out of your, uh, the academy? Yes. Actually, my Proby class was the first of an initiative to hire uh, 900 firefighters within six months. So we were first class of 300 in Proby school. So they were trying to fill a void from, you know, the layoffs in the mid seventies, the lack of hiring in the late seventies, and then started in 1980 to start bringing the uh, complement back to full staffing in the fire department. So you know, as a staff, you know, probably school of 300 people graduating, you know, we filled truck companies, engine companies as much as we can. So it was a, you know, pick up the litter type of thing where everybody was assigned to, you know, whatever company needed the vacancy, you know, vacancies filled at that time. So I was lucky there and everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And I was lucky enough to get assigned to a a truck company. Uh, It was in Manhattan, wasn't a busy truck company, but I did have an opportunity to learn a lot and, and start off my career. Uh, in in a ladder company. So let me ask you this. You know, something I've talked a lot about in this show in the past is, um, you know, your leadership from what I've learned starts day one of recruit school. I've said that many times. It's something I talked about with my very first guest. You know, who who do you think made a big impression on you when you were in the academy, whether it was a firefighter, an officer? You know, the goal of this entire podcast, real quick, the, the goal of this entire podcast um, is going to get niche down. We used to go across leaders across all fields in general. And what I want to focus on is uh, fire service leaders, fire officers, new officers, guys and girls just establishing themselves. So one thing that I, like I said before, I've gone over many times and I've said many times is it starts day one of the academy. Um, so in the academy, you had instructors, probably senior firefighters. Who do you think stuck out the most to you and why? The instructors that you know stood out most you know, during my time in the academy were the ones that worked in the busy companies, had, uh, you know, 15, 20 years on the fire department already. And they stood out not based on, you know, their attributes as a person, but, you know, their confidence. That That's what hit me right away. You can really separate 
early on, especially in probate school, you know, the confidence of the instructors who came from busy companies that had that confidence that, you know, they can make decisions and tell you what to do and be able to back it up with, with past experience. You know, other officers that were more administrative were good on that side, but, you know, when the evolutions were going on, they couldn't give you those little tidbits of information, you know, make sure, you know, you keep your knees off the ground when you're moving in as much as you can. Uh, little things that they learned throughout their career. And, and I believe that confidence made them stand out with uh, with the instructors, uh, not only the firefighter instructors, but also the officers. So, you know, at that time, you know, we looked at the firefighters as almost our supervisor at the time as well. So, you know, we had, you know, basically everybody we dealt with as an instructor was basically a supervisor to us. So, you know, that confidence did stand out and we gravitated towards them a lot more than the other instructors. So it's leadership by example and that confidence and competence can be infectious. So if you have somebody that's motivated, competent, confident, and they don't have to be an officer to do that, right? That's stuff that you can learn as a firefighter, as a senior firefighter, even a guy with a few years on, that's something that you're going to pick up from people that display that, that leadership by example trait, and it's going to spread like wildfire. So, you know, if you have a group of people and the person in charge or one of the other guys are um, very confident in what they're doing, they're going to start following that. And learning that in the academy early on is very, I think, very good because you get that solid foundation, which is what the academy should be building. As it starts that foundation, then you continue to build off that strong foundation from the academy when you get into the firehouse. Um, do you think some of the things that you learn from those instructors are things, the instructor, the firefighters and the officers at the academy, excuse me, do you think those are things that you carried with you throughout your years as a firefighter, then transitioning into... I would assume at some point you would have been the senior firefighter or close to it and then into as into being a new officer. Uh, absolutely. And what happened is you learned right away that it doesn't matter the rank as much as the person you need to follow knows what they're doing and has that experience. Right. So you look at, you know, sure. being led by a company officer, a lieutenant or a captain, you know, you know, he's been through there. He, he did his time. He has the confidence. He learned as an officer, but there's been many times as a young firefighter where, you know, I was grabbed by the senior man, like, come with me. This is what we're going to do. You know, follow me, take this route, go down this hallway, search this room, things like that. So it was not necessarily taking orders from an officer as it was from a senior man in the company. So there are many times and many incidents, whether it be a fire or an emergency, where as much as the officer was in charge, you still you know, that shouldn't say take, took orders, but you followed the direction of that senior firefighter or that knowledgeable firefighter that knew about that situation or emergency. So, you know, you know, following a, the supervisor is one thing, but many times you're going to be dragged to the side or, you know, go in a different direction with a senior member that you have to follow and follow his directions. You know, and I think a lot of that has to do with relatability, right? I think one of the strongest traits and assets a leader or an officer can have is relatability. And I think, and the reason why I think that is you said it yourself where, you know, what you just said about the senior firefighter, the guy has, the guy or girl has more time on than you, but they're still a firefighter. You're still both wearing the same color helmet. You're both, you know, riding the back, 
or, you know, doing firefighters jobs, you're still the same rank in the firehouse, despite a different amount of time on. But I think that relatability to where instead of looking at that person for leadership, let me take that back. Instead of looking up to that person as, you know, they're my supervisor, they're in charge, I want to follow where they go. You're looking up to them almost the same way you would look up to like as, you know, having a big brother, right? I want to be that guy someday. He's admitting these traits, personality things, and and um, displaying the ability to do the job as a firefighter. I want to be in his shoes one day. I want to be like him. And I think that relatability is very important. And I think that's an important trait to learn when you're a firefighter before you, be, you get promoted. Because your role does change from being a senior firefighter, kind of one of the guys and we'll get into the transition from fire backstep to boss in a minute. One of the things is you still take that firefighter stuff with you, even though you do transition and change foot. And now you're not one of the guys anymore, but you still have to be relatable for the guys. Because I think I personally think in my personal experiences is relatability is one of the biggest assets you can have as a new officer or when you're establishing yourself as a new officer. That foundation starts uh, when you're a firefighter, I think. You know, I look at it almost like a two-phased approach. Working under a uh, senior firefighter, you know, is more of a mentorship. The officer looks more as a supervisor or a leadership role, right? As a firefighter, working with the senior firefighter, they're not going to give you directions what to do. You know, they're going to more or less tell you how to do it. And that's what you're going to be learning, right? And that's things you're going to learn to do going forward with your career as you become a senior firefighter or transition to an, the officer position where, you know, you, pay, you have to pass on those learning experiences and following that mentorship with the senior firefighter, whether it be at an incident or back at the firehouse, it's always going to be that learning experience. It's going to be, you know, more or less one-on-one a lot of times. The officers get dealing with maybe, you know, how many people were in the company at the time, whether it be four or five. So that differentiates that one-on-one that you're going to get with the senior firefighter. And that senior firefighter is going to set the foundation for your career going forward. You know, how you learn from that person is, you know, is building blocks towards, you know, where you eventually become that officer and how you're going to approach things. And not to jump too far ahead, but as an officer, you're going to realize how important that senior firefighter is in the company and how much you need to rely on them as, as an officer. Yes. And this is actually a great, great uh, time to transition to what I want to get into today. So with what you're saying about relying on the senior firefighter, let's talk about uh, establishing yourself as a new officer. And, um, you know, let's walk through that. What was your transition like when you went from being, you know, one of the guys, one of the firemen, one of the men, to now you're in charge and you have to establish your uh, command presence. Let's walk through that. It, for me, it was a complete career change, you know, going from the, uh, being a firefighter. And it was a little bit different coming from Special Operations Command with, you know, coming from Rescue 2 and then being promoted and then going out to uh, the regular battalion or divisions. And the way it works with New York City is you go out as a covering officer, filling vacations and days off in different companies. So you're not really assigned in the beginning to a company for long term. You're doing day by day covering of shifts 
and each shift can be in a different company and sometimes in a different borough. So you don't really have time to establish your, your presence right away until you work your way into, you know, the rank a little bit and time where you wind up at long-term, you know, some vacations that last two, two and a half weeks in a company where you sit down and you get to know everybody. So in the beginning, it's very challenging. You're day by day, and sometimes your reputation precedes you, which may be good or bad, right? And then, you know, what are you doing that day? You know, you, you're there just to, you know, keep everybody in line type of thing, not, not in line per se, but under supervision, right? You're not there to make policy, change things. You're there to learn. And a lot of times I use it as learning experience because I was going to different boroughs as well and working in an engine company and a ladder company. And I would always, you know, tell them, look, they knew I was a new officer. But I would always, you know, grab the senior man first off and just say, you know, how do you do things around here? I don't want to interrupt the way your process works. I don't want to, you know, do something that's detrimental to what you normally do. So that was always a good way to start my, you know, my day in the company is just get a feel of how they do things, how to respond, uh, what the response area is like, uh, get to know how they operate, basically. That's what you're going to be basically doing all day is just, you know, res- responding with them. So you want to know how they operate. You know, it's their company. They have ways of doing things. Uh, a lot of times you don't have to tell them to do anything. They already know what to do when they get there. It's just a matter of making sure it's getting done and then de- de- getting done correctly and everybody's, you know, maintaining their safety. So, you know, it wasn't until you start getting long-term positions in companies that, you know, you get to know people, you get, they get to know you, uh, you have to build your confidence with them as well. You know, they don't know you from a, a, somebody, you know, a hole in the wall. They don't know how you're going to operate at a fire. Uh, they don't know what type of personality you have. Um, we did the same thing as firefighters when we got covering officers in the company as well. You know, we didn't know who these people were. We were confident in our own operation. And now we have to be under their supervision and direction. So it was all, we knew, I knew how we treated covering officers. So going into an officer position, I knew a little bit how was, how was it going to be treated? Not that it was wrong, but I just had to understand, you know, Sometimes the company would stand off and not get used to you for a while until you get, you know, first good fire or something like that. And then the confidence builds from there. So it, it's just a challenging way to, you know, come into the rank. It's a whole new beginning. You're not really confident in the position yet. Uh, you know, you, you have the experience fighting fires and emergencies, but under supervision, that's not there yet. That, that takes a while and sometimes a long while. To build that where you have the confidence as a supervisor to really make those hard decisions. And, and that comes with time and, and confidence and experience. Now, do you think it was an advantage to be a floating officer and not have a assignment right out the gate? Do you think you would have preferred to stay as a floater? Or would you prefer to be assigned somewhere? And there's a reason why I'm asking this. It's two two ways, twofold, because uh, as a covering officer being assigned on you know different tour in different companies uh, gave me an opportunity to go to other boroughs and work that I haven't worked in before as a as a firefighter. So in it, it uh, you know, I was able to experience different companies, 
uh, different ways of doing things. I would go to busy companies in some areas, then slow companies the next day. So it was completely different. And every company I went to was operated differently. And as much as we have one fire department, we actually have five different boroughs that operate sometimes completely different. So it was good that way to learn, uh, to get my feet wet and, and really experience what goes on and learn the different ways of doing things. You know, being in Brooklyn for uh, this 15 years I was there, it was a little bit different. You know, we did the same thing all the time. So we're very comfortable with that. Now, as an officer, you're going to different places. So you're getting out of your comfort zone and you have to get used to the way other people do things. And you got to learn that and you got to understand it. Um, you know, you're not really going to change things because that's the way they operate unless you get there an assigned officer and you want to make some tweaks and changes that way. That's different. But on the other hand, you know, after that bouncing for a while, you get assigned to a company for a long term, whether it be a vacation or covering a medical leave where it lasts weeks into months. Um, that's when you start settling down and start understanding your role as a supervisor. You know, you get used to the administrative part, which is always a challenge because you really never have done that before as a firefighter. So, you know, you get comfortable where you don't want to screw anything up. You want to make sure everybody gets paid, you know, get credit for the time worked and um, make sure the guys are taken care of. So that's one thing that helps being in a place for a long time. You get to know the office better, know the administrative part of the position much better. And then you get to know the people. Uh, everything in the fire service is relationships, right? They have to be comfortable with you. You have to be comfortable with them. And it's not that you have to be buddy-buddy with them. It's, you know, you have to earn their respect. I think that's most important. Because, you know, if they don't respect you, uh, there's a tendency to start thinking on their own and start doing things that, you know, are, are not under supervised direction. So that becomes a little dangerous on that side. So it's a matter of, you know, being comfortable with yourself on the administrative side. And that I believe that eases you into the working side where you can really concentrate on developing that relationship and building that respect within the company. So I think adaptability and being comfortable with being on, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is one of the biggest assets you can have, uh, especially as a new officer. I was me personally, when I got promoted, I've been a lieutenant now for eight, eight years and I got promoted and then where the place that I work, you have to be a paramedic to promote. And I went from a medic unit to officer candidate school to riding the front seat of a fire truck all within two weeks. So, um, you know, I went in and I didn't know what I was doing. I was unfortunately under the uh, impression that, well, I'm showing up, I'm the officer, they're going to listen to me. Completely wrong. And I think a lot of that came into when I showed up there, I knew I was going to be there as long as, I don't want to say as long as I wanted to be there because we don't just randomly move people. It, you usually move for promotion, uh, injury, or, you know, discipline, I guess they could move you. Um, but, you know, I would guide that um, guide that ship where I would leave as long, you know, I would stay as long as I want or as short as I wanted. And I got real comfortable real quick. And I think, I personally think, um, and it was a day work, it was, day, it was day work, uh, shift. So 
Monday through Friday, seven to three. And unfortunately, I think I lost out on a great opportunity to establish myself and start, um, you know, creating a name for myself as an officer in a good way. I'd actually, I think I did it in a bad way, unfortunately. And I think, I'm trying to think how to say this. I think that if you come in knowing you're going to have to set your command presence and you have to set up yourself for success because, you know, you have that reputation that precedes you, you know, they're going to know you're new, right? And you could walk in one of two ways and handle that. You could walk in and say, hey guys, I'm new. I don't know the area. I'm not familiar with the company. I'm going to need your help. I'm going to really need to rely on you. Um, so please, by all means, feel free to give me any suggestions, you know, or however you, however you'd want to say that, or you could walk in like I did and say, all right, cool. We're going to do this, 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 and this two different ways to skin that cat, two different ways to walk in and set that first example. And I think there's something to be said about not having an assigned firehouse where you do bounce around. So now you're learning from other people. You're kind of seeing what's working and what's not. I don't want to say you're a substitute teacher because I hate to say it that way, but like it's almost like you get a clean slate every day to where you can walk in, try a few things. They work great. Now you keep that in the back of your mind. You move forward. Hey, this didn't really work out that well, or this wasn't very well received, or you know, this group of people, they really don't know what they're doing or you know, whatever. And then you can move on to the next day at a different company, a different place and try over. It's, t- it's like a lot of, a lot more chances for trial and error with different uh, situations. And I feel like those multiple situations from different places can also be an asset as much as it can be uh, a learning experience. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I, th- I think the, the fire department almost does that on purpose to build that experience. You know, we, you don't get comfortable right away. You know, it's, it's that learning you know, you can work anywhere in the city. So you have to be prepared for that. And you have to have that mindset. Uh, you can go one night working in Queens with, you know, two-story frame buildings. And the next tour, you're in midtown Manhattan with high-rise, you know, buildings. So, you know, you have to be on top of your game with, you know, knowing the different procedures of each type of building. And, and, and just, you know, being kept on your toes a little bit and really not getting comfortable, you know, they don't want to be, I guess the job doesn't want that person to sit long-term in a firehouse, get comfortable with everybody and, and then become one of the guys, you know, they spent invested all this money into, you know, training you as an officer through the first line supervisors program. And then, you know, send you out to the field. It's, you know, you get close with the, the people, but I think in the right way in the beginning, they want you to gain experience to be a supervisor and putting you in different situations gives you a taste of everything you're going to see throughout your career. So I, I think that is sometimes it is a positive. What kind of leadership style did you use and did it change as you floated around? Like, could you kind of, cause I think there's, there's something to be said about being able to read the room. And I think as it just as an adult and or a human being in general, having the ability to read the room can kind of help you through a lot of things, especially if you're not sure what to do. What kind of leadership styles did you use? And did you find yourself knowing your approach had to change depending on where you worked? It, it does. Um, I had the opportunity to work with some great officers um, as a firefighter, both in, you know, all the companies I work with as a firefighter. 
Uh, every company officer that I worked with, I learned something from. I, I watched them. I, I learned from them. Each one had a different way of doing things. So you take a piece from each person and, and try to you know build your own career and your own way of doing things. So the opportunities I had working with officers, um, the officers I worked with in the rescue company were outstanding. You know, we had uh, mostly I worked with uh, Lieutenant John Vigiano in Rescue Two, and he was a phenomenal officer, uh, very much as a teaching officer and a mentor. And what he used to do is is prepare each of the firefighters there. And during roll call in the morning, you know, for day tours, we would get our assignments and uh, positions, and then he would assign somebody to do uh, put together a drill. And what he would do is invite one of the local companies come over. And as a firefighter, you would hold a drill for that company that would come over with some of our equipment or something completely different. So he knew how to build that, that confidence in the person to, you know, hold a drill with somebody you, you really don't know. Uh, you're not drilling with the guys you work with all the time. So that started the, the path through to, you know, being a supervisor learning those little techniques and he knew enough to you know present them to the guys he worked with to get them ready and as a company officer you know basically your way of doing things as a supervisor is based on your personality you know if if you're an idiot as a firefighter you're going to be an idiot as a, as a supervisor right it's sure it's the way it is you can't change a person's personality but you know, if you have the right personality and the right mindset, you know, you have to be open-minded, first of all. Um, the big thing, you know, everybody says, you know, you got to be able to speak and everything else and talk and command presence and everything else. And I always thought the most important thing you need to do is listen, right? You're working with, you know, four or five other people that have a multitude of different talents off the job that you might not know about. And you come to a situation where, you need to turn around and say, what, what do you guys think? And somebody will step up with the, you know, their knowledge that has the expertise and what that needs to be done. Uh, many times as an officer, I turned around, you know, I expected my guys, when I turn around, somebody better speak up because, you know, I don't want to be making all the decisions. You, you're looking over it, the same thing I'm looking at, and you might have a better way of doing it. And I want to hear that. So that's, you know, having that open door policy or open ear policy at a situation where I expect the people to step up and, and sound off. You know, I don't want them to stand back and like, well, we should have did it this way. Why didn't you tell me at the time? We could have saved us, you know, a lot of time in getting out of that situation. So it's almost building that relationship with the guys, making sure they're comfortable enough to step up and, and sound off and, and speak up and say something. Uh, I think that benefits the officer extremely well because, you know, it makes his job a little, a, bit, a little bit easier, but also it gets the job done correctly. You know, um, uh, you know, working in, in rescue companies for so long, you know, I deal with different situations, whether it be fires or emergencies and fires, you know, we have our position based positions that we have to deal with in emergencies. That's where I expect, you know, the guys that are riggers, the guys that are welders, the iron workers, you know, that's where I need them to step up in different situations. And, and that's the confidence you have to build with the guys to make sure they can 
have the ability to speak up when needed. And sometimes it's, you know, you don't look for that, that feedback, but I need them to, you know, step up and really force their hand and say, look, you know, we, let's take a look at this, at this a different way. And, and I think that's what helped my career is, you know, I would more or less listen to the guys, make sure they understood what was going on and making sure they can, you know, they had the ability to speak up when necessary. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said, too, about the ability to validate those things as well. And I'm not saying people should go in with a bad attitude and think people don't know what they're talking about until I can tell they know otherwise. But you also don't want to blindly follow people into anything just because they say to do it and you're not sure what to do, right? So I think when you have you know, a good foundation, starts in proby school, you learn stuff from the senior man as you start moving up and then you start moving around and working with these guys and girls that have time on and you're, you know, a new officer, you're starting to establish yourself and those things. Um, I think you start to learn your, uh, your leadership style. And I think as your leadership style develops, that's when you're going to start learning, you know, people's strengths and weaknesses, or you're going to know, you know, I don't want to say how to have people say those things to you, but you're going to learn how to use people to their strengths for your weaknesses and your strengths for their weaknesses. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Yeah, exactly. I I think it comes down to you're operating as a company, right? You're not an individual as a supervisor, just barking out orders on the top of the mount. You know, you're working, you're supposed to be working as a team and, and having that confidence, not only with the team, but the team having the confidence with, the supervisor, right, is is extremely important, and um, you know, building that confidence and and getting to know the people, you know, you're in the firehouse, whatever, how many hours, you know, you're living with these people, you know, you get to know them, you get to know their families, you interact with, you know, outside the firehouse, whether they're playing playing sports, picnics, barbecues, things like that, so you get to know them pretty well. And a lot of times, you know, that interaction offsite comes back to the fire service as well, where, you know, you're going to turn around and, and look for that one individual that you, you know about his background or experience that, you know, come over here, you know, take care of this type of thing. And that's where the confidence comes as an officer. Uh, there's many times as an officer, you're going to have to make decisions, though, that, uh, you know, people might not like. You know, when sure. we report into a chief officer and he gives us direction to do something. I know it's not something I like would like to do, but you know that's the order and direction we have received. So I have to go back and let them know, and they know enough when I receive an order that you know is not to our liking, but you know it has to get done, and I accept it. They're going to accept it as well. So that made my job a lot easier. No matter what it was, you know, uh, going around the fire, going to exposure, get, you know, getting off the fire floor type of thing. As much as we want to stay in the fire building, sometimes we got to do things that uh, the chief wants us to do just to make sure things are getting done. So, yeah, and you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, I mean, you, you know, you, I mean, you said it yourself, you always want to be that dependable company, right? And part of that dependability is does it come with doing um, everything, whether you want to or not, the way you would if it's the fun thing to do. So, I think it goes without being said, everybody, if they could pick whatever they wanted to do, they'd probably want to be on the nozzle putting the fire out, right? But if you take that same effort 
and joy and you smile. And it's all about how you present yourself too as well. If you take all that initiative and motivation and, um, you know, overall demeanor and you do that with everything, whether you're writ, you're pulling hand lines, you're pulling ceilings, you're throwing ladders, you're, you know, doing line over ladder and you're jumping fences in the backyard, getting a long line in places, you know, going to the rear of a house. If you do everything the same way, every time you come, you become dependable for that battalion chief or for your officer or you as the officer, you're now dependable to your guys because you're leading by example because you're showing the same initiative and pride and uh, attitude with everything. And I think that spills over into what I wanted to get into, get at, get at was, you know, you mentioned earlier about how um, things outside the firehouse transition into the fire service, right? So there's a thing, there's a difference between positional power and personal power. You as a lieutenant can tell me, hey, go sweep the floors and mop them, right? You, I mean, ultimately, you're in charge. You're the lieutenant. It's, you're going to make me do it. Now, if I were to say, hey, uh, you know, if I knew that, you know, LT wants floors done Tuesday mornings and he likes to get started around eight, we have a good rapport. We have mutual respect because of our good working relationship. You know, you're dependable. I do my job for you. We get along. Um, you know what? I know what he wants and what he expects of me, and I want to meet that mark. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make sure it's done because I know that's what he wants, right? Personal power versus positional power. And I think, I think um, when you create that rapport and that bond with the guys and girls on your shift, they're not going to start doing things just because they have to. They're going to do it because they want to do it. They want to be dependable. They want to be part of the crew. They want to follow you as the leader. And that'll create a strong bond where they'll follow you into some really dangerous spots because they know they can trust you. They know that they respect you and they know that you've done it before and they know that they can trust your judgment. And if you have any feedback for that judgment, you're going to listen to them and you're going to do it as a group. I mean, ultimately you're, you're the leader, you're the officer. So you're, it's dictatorship, not a democracy really at the end of the day. But, um, and I think that comes from your leadership style. You know, I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think what it is, is, you know, that that respect as not only a supervisor, but as a person. Um, you know, if, you know, fortunately, I worked in, in special operations where we had 25 firefighters that actually they all wanted to be there and very aggressive firefighters. If I would walk into the kitchen while they're all sitting around and I walk in with a mop and stop mopping a the floor, they would they would more or less mug me to take that mop out of my hands. You know, for any officer in a rescue company or, you know, they should take it out because they know what, you know, their roles are and they don't want, you know, as a firefighter also, you know, when an officer came, comes in and says, you know, we need to do this, everybody would jump up and like, let's go do it. Let's do it right now. Let's not wait. Let's, let's get it over with. Let's take care of it. Um, it. It's just the mentality of, you know, unfortunately being a rescue company, that's the way it was. It's a little bit easier, uh, probably in a rec regular company or a ladder company or engine company, but we had highly motivated people that you know really didn't want to sit around. I mean, our days were spent you know running to different fires and emergencies and, and drilling all day, so and all night. So it was a little bit different. And whatever we wanted to do, whether it be you know me saying something or somebody else in the company says, 
let's do a dive drill today. Like, let's get on the rig. Let's go. And it was a little bit easier that way. But I think it's respect not only for the rank, but for the person that uh, comes in more than the rank itself. And I think that's as a supervisor, that's something you have to earn, right? You have to, you know, they're going to respect your rank because that's the mentality of the fire service, the paramilitary. It's that earning of the respect you as a person is what you have to earn. And that's going to be earned by your actions. It's not going to be earned by, you know, demanding this, let's go out. We're doing this today, doing that. Uh, There's many times where we, you know, I made up my schedule, what we need to do today. And somebody would say, you know, I have to do something else. Can we, you know, do something completely different and go at this time rather? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But it has to be a two-way street also. You can't always lay down the law. You you have to be extremely flexible, right? You have to, you're dealing with, you know, five other individuals in the FDNY that you're working with that date, that tour. So, and everybody has something else going on. You know, you can't be that straight line and, and not bend. And you have to have that flexibility in your your own confidence to say, we can change anything on a dime if we need to. Just let me know what needs to be done. So I, I think having a flexibility and the confidence and respect is is something you, you need to really get comfortable in your, in your position as a supervisor. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with maturity as well. Uh, you get people, you know, um, it's not across the border, but, you know, you have some people getting promoted, you know, three or four years on a job that, you know, might not have all the experience and, and the maturity is there. And it's tough now, um, you know, going in and trying to supervise people 15, 20 years on a job where they respect your rank, but you really, really have to earn the respect as a person that way. Yeah, I think I think compassion goes a long way, too. So I think there's a big difference in being like you come in, you know, straight edge, drill instructor, boom, 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 boom. We're doing X, Y, and Z. And somebody's like, you know, hey, you know, I worked last night. You know, I, I, we ran a bunch of calls after midnight and I need to get, you know, I don't know, whatever it is done real quick. Can we go out afterwards? Or, you know, you know, someone in your firehouse on your shift has personal stuff going on and there's no like adaptability to that and a little bit of compassion to where you, you know, all right, cool. You know, all right, fine. We're going to do a drill at 11 o'clock. I don't care what you have to do before that. I don't care what you're in the middle of. I don't care what's going on. Whatever you need to do, do it after 12 or before 11. At 11 o'clock, we're starting the drill. And I think that goes a long way with people. And I I don't think you need to be a pushover and be like, oh, you you had a bad night. You're tired. Don't worry about it. We don't have to do anything today. No. But I do think there does need to be some of that because, I mean, I know what it's like to run a bunch of calls all night, then turn around and you you have an officer making you do busy work for eight hours a day. Because they think that, you know, business hours are seven to three. So we have to do, be doing something. I mean, you have to have compassion for people. You don't need to be a pushover every day, but I do think it goes a long way when it comes to having compassion, knowing, all right, well, that guy was on a medic unit last night, or this guy worked at a busy firehouse last night. He's been up all night. You know, hey, man, just um, we're still going to do a drill. Um, but after the drill, you know, if you need to go knock out, fine, no big deal. But I think a lot of that comes from caring about people too. You know what I mean? I think if people know that you care and 
you know, I'm not saying people sh- have shortcomings with their abilities or knowledge, but that those things do happen. But I think if you care about people and they know you care, they know you have their best interest in mind, that's when you start having those moments or those situations where, like you said, you know, they're going to grab that mop out of your hand. They're going to fight you for it because they don't want you to do it because they respect you. And that's all from um, those things I don't think just happen. I think that's a culture. But I also think that's a culture that's created and thrived through um, uh, leadership by example or, you know, people walking that line and, and living by example, not just, you know, well, that guy is a captain. Well, I can't let him mop because, well, no. I mean, yes, ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, you don't want your captain to be mopping, but, you know, I know that captain has taken care of me and these other firefighters, they, um, they work very hard and they don't want him to do it because they know he works really hard. Like, I think there's definitely something to be said about that. I think what you said is leadership by example is, is a prime example of that. It's yeah. you know doing something that, you know, you'll be the first one in the building, the first one up the stairs, right? And mm-hmm. being that first one is, you know, people have to follow you. You know, when I worked in, in Rescue 2, we had extremely aggressive fire officers. And they all led by example. I mean, they would get off the rig as soon as the rig stopped and, and were running down the street reporting into the chief. And, you know, you knew you had to keep up with them. It was, you know, almost like a challenge. Uh, but you knew they were always the first ones in. And it was your job to, you know, you know, either follow them or, or try to get in front of them to do your job. And, you know, it's just a challenge. And what you look for is, you know, stepping up as a, as a leader first and being the first one to take that initiative. You know, what that does is make everybody that's standing behind you a little bit more encouraged to step up and be a little bit more aggressive. You know, it's, it's as an officer, you, you start doing something and they'll push you out of the way and say, look, let us do that. So it, it helps. It's, it's a learning experience for them as well. But leadership yeah, and I think it's- is, you know, the, the person you want to follow is a person that is that true leader, right? And, and knows what they're doing, has the confidence. And, and that's what, you know, you're going to learn by, you're going to be example of, and, and hopefully become uh, eventually. Now, for me, um, the fire service has obviously changed a lot, I think, between... Um, you know, the last few years. And, and I think, you know, in different areas of the country, different fire departments, I'm in the DC metropolitan area. So the way we do things is much different than the way they do things in New York and the way they think is they did things in New York. Um, between you said you retired in 2002, right? Yes. Between 2002 and 2023 is now, um, we have a lot of check sheets and I'll just leave it at that. So now there's a lot of steps as the officer you have to do, which makes it a unique situation. Personally, in my experience is now you're doing a 360 and I'm not against any of this. I'm not saying that in any way. All I'm saying is there's a lot of different steps that you have to take for the modern fire officer, the guys that are out riding the front seat right now, or the guys that are freshly promoted. I'm sure people are getting promoted every single day. It's much different now than it was back, um, back when you retired. So now there's a lot of things in front of us that we have to do, but you're still responsible for being that leader. So I think there's something to be said about 
you know, the officer gets there, he gets off. You, you Unfortunately, you have to do a 360, you have to do a basement report, and you have to do all this on the radio, and then you have to, you know, either establish command or take, you know, take command, um, which slows you down from your guys. And that's not something I'm, I'm a big fan of, but you control what you can control, right? As a lieutenant or a captain or, you know, an officer. So I know that I may be a few steps behind, but I think when they see, you know, they know that you're hustling, they know that you're getting your job done and you have a job to do and they have to operate on their own and do their job as well. So they're upholding their end by getting the line in place. Well, they get to the call first correctly. They pull the line, the right line. They go to the front door or wherever the line needs to go per your department. And, you know, the officer runs off, does their 360. He's doing his thing. You're doing yours. And then you guys meet in the middle. And I think over time, as they see those things, they're going to understand that, you know, all right, he's upholding his end of the deal. Um, you know, he's doing his job because there, I think there's going to come times where, you know, I don't think it's a big deal if you ask for help from the firefighters, but you know, when it's time for you to be the officer and it's time for you to make the decision, you need to make the decisions. You need to make the, you need to make the calls and you need to be able to be an effective leader. And when you do have shortcomings, there are mistakes, there are, you know, you know, you may not make the best decisions. I think when you see those things, when those things do happen, but you're consistent, which is the biggest thing, consistency, I think that's when the other guys will kind of fill in like, Hey, you know, and they'll fix it or they'll help you out or they'll give suggestions and things like that. Yes. Yeah, so one, one of the things, you know, you look by what you mentioned earlier is with the FDNY, we had, you know, procedures already in place for positions, right? Each mm -hmm. position on the, on the truck or engine had a specific job to do. So the officer will more or less just tell you get off and really not give any directions until they got into the fire building because everybody had an assignment once you got there. So it wasn't until you entered the building and, and things change. And as much as plans work, you know, the first, you know, part of it, the action is everything goes to crap a little bit, but sure. otherwise, you know, everybody has their position to do, you know, it's not the officer as an officer in the FDNY, you're not really barking out orders when you first get there because everybody's going to their positions. You know, the can man's going to the fire floor. The outside vent man's going to the, you know, the rear of the building. The roof man's going to the roof. So everybody's doing their assignments. And it's more or less as the officer to be the coordinator to let every, you know, have people report back to you what's going on. What's the conditions in the rear? What's the conditions on the roof? You know what the inside team is doing, but you don't know what the remote people are doing. So you have to ma maintain that situational awareness with them. Right. And the other thing, too, is, you know, reporting in, um, you know, a lot of times as, as a rescue officer, you know, we would go into fires and always report into the chiefs, give them their due respect. And a lot of times, depending on the situation, they would tell us to stand fast. And we would be looking at the building and we know it's, you know, things are not getting covered. And it, they, we had a way of doing things in, in, in the rescue companies where, you know, I would make a nod or wave my hand behind my back for, you know, two guys to, they know what I was looking at and they're looking at the same thing. And they would just, I would wave them off to go check it out, make sure it's getting done, you know, check out that situation without the chief knowing it. And the rest of us would be standing fast. And a lot of times, you know, the chief would turn around and I was always standing right behind them. So we always thought the whole company was there with us. But it's a lot of times, you know, as a company officer, 
especially with the rescue companies, we, we had to you know look at things differently. You know, the chief's looking at the lines and everything else. He's, he's not, he's sometimes, you know, as, as well as a company officer, you're being overwhelmed and you want that uh, extra set of eyes. And sometimes we pick up things, but we were getting an order to stand fast. But, you know, sometimes we just have to, you know, give a head nod to somebody like, go take a look at that really quick. And the guys have to know that as well. And I think there's something to be said, at least in my personal experience, especially with the guys I have now, where you go to a call and it sounds like it's going to be some, whatever the call is. I mean, we all want to go to fires, right? So, you know, you get the, the call tape or the uh, dispatch is giving you like the perfect storm, multiple calls, smoke and fire visible, police on the scene, those kind of things. And you know, it's going to be a fire or you see a nice header or smoke in the area, whatever. It's a very nice feeling to look around and know subconsciously or consciously that they know exactly what you expect. You know exactly what they expect. And you know, you don't have to provide any direction because they're going to do their job. And if you do have to provide, excuse me, provide direction, you're fine tuning and guiding, not um, having to pull people along. I think that's a very good feeling as a leader and as an officer. And I think that's something that's established by exactly what you said and a lot of those things that you mentioned earlier. And a lot of it comes down to trust, I think. I think a lot of the, you know, situations you brought up with uh, John Vigiano and having the firefighters prepare their own drills with other companies and, um, you know, you get to work with these people and you watch what, you know, and you learn what makes them tick inside of the firehouse and outside the firehouse, you know, to bring the conversation a little full circle comes back to what we talked about earlier of outside the firehouse has a, um, you know, a, a spillover, a direct correlation into things in the firehouse and on calls. And, you know, it's definitely a good feeling knowing those guys are going to be ready to go. They want to go to fires and they're ready to get to work. Um, especially because, and this is what I'm getting at, you know, a plan is just a list of things that are going to go wrong, right? The minute you get going, at least in my experience, it feels like everything I had planned in my head, nothing works. And no call is ever perfect to where it's, you know, A through Z. There's always some kind of wrench, you know, units out of the air, out of the position or, you know, whatever the situation has to where now, you know, it's not just a simple show up, do your job and go. There's always some kind of hiccup and you have to be adaptable for that. And that adaptability, I think personally, um, creates a environment of, um, trust and, and confidence in your guys knowing that you're going to do your job, they're going to do theirs, and you're going to do whatever happen, whatever happens, excuse me, is they're going to complement each other. And then what that leads to is overall team success, overall confidence, and then they start learning to be, um, they, they trust you. And then you create that strong bond and that tribe that you mentioned earlier um, will start to thrive, and then you start becoming that high-performance team. Yeah, I think what you're saying is, you know, a lot of times, you know, we have a consensus, everybody has their positions, and everybody's doing their jobs and reporting in. There are situations when things start going bad and really bad and really quick. That's when you as an officer really have to grab everybody, take charge, yes. and start making those decisions. Because that's when everybody else is, is running around with their heads cut off, and you have to calm down, mm -hmm. the situation. And start getting things done, and that's happened many a time. 
Um, there's many situations where, as an officer, you know, things are really, really, really going bad. And we got together, I got my guys together, like, let's find out what's going on. This is what we're going to do. Let's go do it. And that's it. There was no consensus or reaching back and what you guys think. It's like, this is what we're doing. I don't care. Let's go. Just let's go do it. So, and that's very important as well as as a supervisor where if you get to that point in that situation, they know that you're you're there to take charge as well. Right? So Mm -hmm. they they have the confidence in you when when shit's hitting the fan or anything like that. It's like, things have to get done and we're going to get it done and we're going to do it this way. It's not no more, uh, you know, a consensus of uh, everybody on the company. Sure. It's, it's one way. And, and that happens more often than not a lot of times. And it's always going to happen when you least expect it. There's also small minute moments where that happens too. Right. So, as I mean, I, I've personally had some situations where there's been a little bit of debate back and forth, uh, not with me involved directly, but it's, you know, Hey, we should do this this way, or you should do it that way. And everybody kind of chimes in it, No, we're doing it this way. This is the way we're going to do it. This is the best way to do it. Decisions are going to be made because there's a lot of, there's a lot more situations I think inside the firehouse away from the calls where you do need to step up and make a decision. And I think those small situations over time will build your confidence to be able to make those bigger decisions. Does that make sense? Yes, because it's a learning experience, right? If you learn to do the small things, the big things, we know problems coming on later on. But, yeah. you know, you, you're you always being tested as an officer as well. A lot of, you know, a lot of times they're going to be looking at you like, what do you need us to do? And you have to have that answer. You know, you have to have that situational awareness to really assign different tasks if need be or direct people and, you know, send them to other uh, areas to take care of things. And, you know, they need that supervision as well and that leadership. And like I said earlier, you know, if you can do it during a regular event or a situation, you know, you're better prepared doing it when you really need to do it. Yeah. And you have to you have to display the confidence. You know, we talked about this before when we were trying to get this together, since we had some technical difficulties, you know, leadership can be theater just as much theater as well. Right. You can put on a confidence face where in the back of your mind, your brain's going a thousand miles a minute. As long as you have the competence to back that up, you're going to be okay. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I, and quite frankly, I mean, I've been more uncomfortable with personnel problems than I have with fires that I've been on. You know what I mean? It's, I think it's also something that's more common in a firehouse where you have those personality issues or those very uncomfortable moments as an officer where you have to do your job, whether, you know, no one likes it, but there comes a point where you have to do it. It's very uncomfortable and everyone is watching everything that you do. So whether you're, you know, nervous as hell, or you know exactly what to do, but you execute it and you put on that normal face, the, the, the confidence and like you have, and you have your competence to back it up. I think that goes a long way too. You know, it's okay to be humble and it's okay after the fact to say, Hey, look, I'm not really sure what to do on this fire. Hey, look, I made this decision. You know, I wasn't exactly sure, um, how it'd work out, but you know, I, it worked out and this is why. 
I think there's something to be said about that. I think there's something to be said about having that balance of uh, humility, but being able to have the competence and the brilliance and the basics to back that up and execute. Execution's obviously always going to be everything. Yeah, I, I think confidence is, is probably the most important because with confidence, you can handle any situation, right? If you're confident in yourself and your ability, uh, you know, whether you know the rules and regulations or the fire ground, it, it's, it's all the same. You still have to follow uh, what's written. And a lot of times, you know, you're put in situations, you know, especially on the human resource side of the house that you have to make that are going to be very unpleasant. And there's going to be situations where people are going to come to you with different issues that you have to deal with that are outside of basically the firehouse that you have to help them with. You know, you're there to take care of, you know, the people you work with. That's the first and foremost as, as a line supervisor is taking care of the people you work with. And having that ability to have them come up and speak one-on-one -on -one with you uh, is is probably one of the best things you can have. Is you know I've been in situations you know unfortunately with many fatal fires with uh, on the fire ground with firefighters right, and you know a lot of times some people you know um, if you have a fatal fire in the, in the day tour we're still working the night tour they, they some people might you know, I had a situation and somebody come up and say like you know I really can't work tonight. I just, uh, you know, all the situations we went through this afternoon and the fatal fire and everything else, it's like, you know, I, I just can't do it. And you just have to, you know, take care of that person and making sure that, you know, what they need to be taken care of with is is done. And um, you know, a lot of times what you do behind closed doors is very rarely seen by anybody else or even known by everybody else. So a lot of times the people in the kitchen sitting downstairs really don't, don't know what's going on upstairs in the office with a lot of things. And, and you're not going to come down and, and you know, say anything either. You're going to keep a close hold. So that's where you, you build your you know, command presence as well, because the person you helped out knows that you didn't say anything to anyone. And that confidence you know, helps you as well as helps them you know, deal with that situation. And, you know, some things you have to take to, you know, to the cuff as an officer and just handle it yourself and not say anything to anyone. And a lot of times it's one-on-one -on -one with that person. So you, you have to do the right thing there. The other thing I learned about that, I'm really glad that you brought that up, is, you know, consistently over time. And if you work with people long enough, Every individual person is going to have a certain situation that they know you know about it. They also know you're the only one they talk to and no one else knows yet, right? But they know they also talk amongst, these, amongst themselves without you around. And that's going to get around too that, you know, hey, the lieutenant took care of me for the, you know, oh, hey, you're struggling a little bit. Hey, I had a big issue. They may not get into it. I had an issue. I went to the lieutenant. He took care of me. That's going to spread or what's going to happen is if you run your mouth or you don't keep things confidential or keep things to yourself um, and you're not that dependable officer taking care of your guys, that's going to get out too. They're going to know that because the firefighters, whether they'll say it or not, they, he, they hear, excuse me, they hear and see everything and they forget nothing. So if you're consistent and you're dependable, 
with those situations. And like you said, you take care of them. And, you know, with your example of the guys, you know, the guy being like, I need to go home. I can't work tonight. That's going to get around too. People are going to know, you know, this guy was kind of struggling. He went to the officer, officer, let him go. Cause he knows he needs to take care of himself and take a break for the night. Those things get out too, the good and the bad. So I think if, but if you're consistent and you do the right thing every time and that, uh, what's it called? The silent professional, uh, style where you don't talk about it, you just do it, you just grind. And, um, you know, I, you step up and you're the man and you just do that consistently. You know, I think that's going to get around too. And that's going to build that command presence because, you know, you may not talk about it, but everybody else sees it. They don't forget about it and they're going to talk amongst themselves. Exactly. Consistency is a, is a big word. And, and not having that as, as a supervisor challenges the men you work with, right? Because, you know, what is he going to be like today? You know, he was crazy last week, yelling and screaming. This week, you know, he's, he's calm and collective. So you have to be consistent as an officer and, you know, not get excited. If you're not going to get excited, don't get excited for everything. You know, keep it to yourself. Um, you know, I had the ability to, when things get worse around me, I calm down more. And I had called before a couple of chief officers in Manhattan where they said, you know, we notice you and, you know, it's getting really, really bad. He goes, the only calm voice I hear is yours, given reports. So, you know, I, I, I look at that as like, you know, that's our job what, what it's supposed to be. And I try to pass this on to the guys. You know, we're running up, you know, 30 flights of stairs. You know, one of the things I used to, you know, try to teach and, and instill with them is like, when you get up to the 30th floor and you have to give a report, stop for a second, take your, you know, get your breath and report like you just took the elevator. Yeah. You know, you're trying, you know, you're a professional, you know, like Lieutenant Vigiani used to say all the time is in the firehouse, we're firemen or firefighters, right? Once we go out that door, we're representing the FDNY and we're re representing the company. So be professional and act professional. And that, that goes for, will be firefighters or officers. It's the same thing, you know, and the respect you, you garner from everybody else outside, even chief officers is, you know, making sure you give their due respect, uh, remain calm on the fire scene because they're looking for that person that's remaining calm to give that accurate report. And when everything else is yelling and screaming, giving maydays and everything else, you know, that chief officer is going to rely on you to calm everybody else down and, and, I think consistency is a key word. Um, that's what probably everybody that works with you would like to expect each time. Uh, you don't want that officer that's uh, yelling and screaming for a couple tours. It comes in, he's nice and calm and friends again. Then the next tour is yelling and screaming. You know, that consistency plays extremely well with making sure that you stay the same way all the time, right? And especially as an officer, they know what to expect. Uh, they know how to work with you, uh, how to approach you, whatever, just about everything. And also on the fire ground, you know, if you're the same way in the fire ground um, and dealing with different situations and you remain the same, uh, they remain just like you. You know, they calm down, and especially when, you know, things are getting really bad and you still remain calm like everything else with every officer. If the officer remains calm, you know, the, usually the firefighters with that officer remain calm as well. 
and and having that voice that you know like i try to instill in my people is if we have to climb up the, if he hears that you're calm you know it would make the situation much better but there are situations where you know you have to get the point across but also being calm and to sync with your message to the, the chief officer is you know making sure that it's it's direct he, he gets the uh, urgency of the situation but he also gets all the facts and what's actually going on it's predictability too they know what to expect when you show up with your crew regardless of what the call is if they're if you're cons- like you said consistently the same way every time good and bad because that can be a bad thing they could you could be that guy they know you're a screamer on the radio they know you're going to give out of breath returns they know you have no idea where you're going you're going to get lost you know cons- if they, that happens consistently then you become predictable they're going to know that and i think you know in time when you prove yourself when that pendulum swings the other way where you're not yourself like there's urgency in your voice hey you know you call them a you you know you're giving an urgent report for whatever it is they know you're not normally excitable and now you're excitable that's going to tell them something too you know what i mean like or uh, for uh what would that i guess that would be uh emphasis right, right. create emphasis in, in your message you're delivering and i think you know there's a guy i work with that says it all the time um you know i'm a professional so it doesn't matter what the call is for or what i'm doing i'm a professional i'm going to handle it i'm going to dress a certain way. I'm going to show up a certain way. I'm going to act a certain way. I'm going to be knowledgeable in how the department policy works in, you know, fire ground operations, EMS, in-station stuff, uh, you know, uh, admin stuff. I'm a professional. I need to know that. That's the difference. I'm not, you know, somebody doing it for a hobby. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. And, you know, be proficient with everything you do, you know, whether it be an administrative or on the fire floor. So, I think we're in a good place to stop. We're just past that hour mark. Um, you know, my biggest takeaway from this as a transitioning officer, a new officer, is you got to set your command presence. You have the groundwork starts from day one in the academy as a firefighter, learning from um, other firefighters, the culture of dependability, consistency, uh, adaptability, and uh, how to be predictable and have a strong foundation. And most of all, you know, it's going to take a lot of work when you're new. It's going to take a lot of work when you're trying to establish your command presence and establish yourself. But if you're consistent, you're humble, you train, and, uh, you know, you, I don't want to say pay your dues as a firefighter, but you, you know, you pay your dues as a firefighter, you run, you run the gallet, you know, I think you're going to be successful. And, and I think if you're coachable and, and you have some humility, you're going to, you're going to be okay. It's going to be a lot of work. It's not going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of good days. There's going to be a lot of bad days and a lot of very stressful days. You know, my personal experience, and please jump in here. Uh, my personal experience is I think the most rewarding thing I've ever done in the fire service was become an officer because I learned who I don't want to be, how I don't need to be, and who I should be. And, you know, going on fires and all those things are fun and everything, but I feel like I've had more of an effect on people. Um, both good and bad. Um, you know, I think I've changed as an officer. I think I've learned a lot and I've, and I've come a long way, but I think one of the most rewarding things or the most rewarding thing is my ability to help others and have fun, uh, with going to fires. Fires are fun, but you know, I think, you know, being able to be 
that advocate or that guy working and grinding for somebody that needs help, I think is the most rewarding thing, especially as an officer. Yeah. And Mike, what I said earlier too, is, you know, learning from the good officers you work with, but it's also recognizing the bad officers that you work with as well, that, you know, these are the traits you don't want to pick up. Right. Sure. And, and learning that way. And I don't want to be like that person. And, and with the guys too, is, you know, what I did mention earlier was expectations, outlining your expectations right up front, you know, getting off the rig dressed, fully dressed, ready to go to work. You know, you look at all, all these videos now, it's, Every video I see is is they're getting off the rig and they're kneeling down. That they're putting on their gloves. They're putting on the mask. They're putting on this. You you should be getting off the rig fully dressed and just you know hooking up the face mask and, and getting in. So it's you know we get off the rig the same way all the time. Be, be, be prepared for everything, and that's one of the expectations you put out there right in the beginning, and just keep on managing those expectations. Um, you keep with those expectations. They know what to do and they know how to work with you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your time. I think that's a great way to close, a great point to close. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add or anyone you wanted to give a shout out to? Anything like that? Uh, I'd like to give out a shout out to the uh, Tunnel to Towers Foundation. I, I'm one of the ambassadors to go around and helping spread the message. If anybody's out there, you know, please, that doesn't know about the Tunnel to Tower Foundation, that helps the, you know, veterans, first responders, uh, paying off their mortgages for persons killed in the line of duty, uh, providing smart homes for the disabled veterans, things like that. Uh, there's a, a website out there, t2t.org. Uh, they have a mobile 9-11 exhibit that travels the country and it might be in your area one, one time or another. Uh, to please take a look at that. Uh, they accept donations, $11 a month if, if possible, to help out. And we give, you know, 90, 95% of the donations go back out to the veterans and first responders. So it's a very good organization. So we'll add that link to the uh, episode description. Um, is there any way, if people want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Do you have social media, anything like that? Um, mainly on Instagram, just Michael Penna 176 um, You can uh, instant message me through that and I'll, I'll re return a response as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, so Mike, hang out. We're not, don't go anywhere real quick while I close this out. Um, what a great episode. Uh, a lot of good messages. Uh, Mike's a very intelligent man that brought a ton of experience with him. Uh, you know, I, I'm really blown away. You know, I really am. I knew this was going to be a good episode and it's, it's been fantastic. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, so everybody, Please check out Mike on social media. Check out Tunnels of Towers. We're going to add everything to the uh, description of the episode. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Search Tip of the Spear Leadership. And thank you for listening to the Tip of the Spear Leadership podcast. Also, before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast network. Hit that download button and subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. Five stars are our favorite and will help us grow our show and gain more competent leaders and followers. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. And uh, we're going to have some more episodes in the coming weeks. And thank you all for your time. Tip of the Spear Leadership. Be present. Be yourself. Be unstoppable. Have a great day, guys.